0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Mother Rucker podcast is sponsored by Baby Tula, a global leader in ergonomic and comfortable carriers. Tula's mission is to give parents confidence and support and help them keep doing what they love while being reflective of their own personal style through a range of stunning designs. As an inclusive brand. Tula offers carriers for all ages and stages, from birth up to around seven years, to empower families of all kinds throughout their unique parenting journeys. Make sure you check them out and choose your favourite design. Hey, 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 hey. Welcome to another podcast. My name is Lizanne and I'm here to chat to you about all things sling. Every other week, with me today is one of my partners in crime, the wonderful Zoe Woodman from the Sling Consultancy. Hello, Zoe. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? How are you? How are you? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. Hot.
1: It's very hot today, but um, yeah. A good so beach, today, the day yeah. we're
0: recording is uh, the seventh of August. So it is an extremely hot day uh, here in the UK. Well extremely hot for us. This isn't hot compared to a lot of places, but it's hot for the UK. Um, so we're both a bit sweaty and sticky because we're film we're recording in the evening. Um <laughs> so yeah. How are you otherwise there, apart from the heat? Yes, yeah, not too bad. Obviously
1: everything's been a bit juggly. We're all having to juggle children being home and uh, different situations and so we're just sort of getting by as we do. It's the school holidays, so um kind of just taking things a bit easy really just um, been to the beach a bit do a few bit of biking and all that jazz so just um, enjoying the good weather although today is just that little bit too hot so we did do come down to the coast just because uh, I'm based up in Surrey which is just that bit close to London so it's yeah just a bit too warm but no we're doing well um, it's a big period of adjustment for us this year um With my eldest starting high school and my youngest starting primary, so um kind of feel that there's that big shift kind of about to happen, yeah, um, which is quite exciting
0: so tell us a bit more about your family. You've mentioned your eldest and your youngest. you have a third as well in the middle right?
1: <laughs> We do so um i have my eldest is eleven um May, and then we have Charlie who is seven and Jude is four. Um, we used to live up in um, London when we had May and then we moved a little bit further out when we, uh, after she was about a year and that's how I actually got into sling. So we spotted somebody, I had a sling for May but it was more practical being in London and then we moved and saw somebody using a sling and I was just like, oh, with an older baby. I was like, oh, we need one of those because we can't really do the walks we want to do. And so, Googled that one, bought it, and used it with her until she was like two, two and a half. And by then, had met someone else that was very passionate about slings, and she was like, "Let's set up a sling library." I was like, "What is one of those?" Um, and so, we, with NNCT branch, we had some funds, and so we bought a selection of about ten slings uh, and carriers. And basically, we just helped people with slings and carriers because we loved carrying, and we wanted to share that with other people, and wanted to get people carrying um so then when I had Charlie we'd I'd had much more experience with lots of different types of slings and carriers and so I used an array of slings and carriers with him um but it wasn't until my third dude that I then found wovens and loved using wovens so it kind of evolved with each child as I think is fairly natural um Mm -hmm. certainly with one You don't necessarily always need your hands free. It can be massively useful, but it absolutely comes into its own when you have more than one child. Um, And so uh, Jude was six months old when I actually did my consultancy training. Um, At that point, we were running the Sling Library and said about doing peer support training. And I looked at the kind of the stuff and I was like, well, I kind of know all of that. I don't feel that's going to benefit me in any way. And then she said, after she'd done her peer support training, she was like, let's do consultancy training. And I was like, yeah, fully up, on board for that. Yeah. Um, I love learning. And so we then did our slinger baby training and actually held it here in, in Dorking, which was great. Um, and Jig was oh, lovely. about five months old at that point. Um, and so that was quite tricky to juggle his needs at that point and trying to take it all on board. And that's what I love about slinger babies. is you can re-attend. So um, I've re-attended some of the days as well, which is really, really helpful. Um, and that was in 2016. And then obviously, um, we all kind of got together with the brilliant baby own business group with Kiara and have developed that. And so I'm lucky that I get to work with you and Kiara and, um, helping support other baby own businesses to be sustainable and to spread kind of what I do a bit further. So, um, my background is psychology I have a psychology degree and I just am really into kind of the research and the science and kind of I suppose when you first have a child and you, you kind of have all these pre-ideas pre around what's going to happen or what your mm-hmm. baby and you just think you can put them down and then they don't really they don't really generally like that It can come a bit with a shock and and yet science shows us so much about why that's the case. And I just find when I understand why I can deal with things a little bit better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so for me kind of sharing the science on the carrying is, is huge because it validates and backs up kind of so much of what we do. And it can just make things that little bit easier. Um, but for some reason there's just not quite out there as yet in terms of mainstream parenting. Um, because there's this idea that you know carrying's a bit hippie or you have to be a certain type of person to carry your baby and i kind of felt like i didn't fit that i didn't fit that mold i was like well that's not that's not me but actually it's not about that it's about you know for me looking at science and saying well actually you know deep down humans are all the same evolutionary wise and kind of a cellular level and a neurological level and so a lot of the behaviors um can be can be Directed through that that way, and obviously, we know more now with um, all the research that's happened in the last twenty years on on the science of the brain. And we now know that actually experience does also impact our, our neurology and our brain development. And so, how do those things come together as parenting, kind of backing that up with the science? I guess.
0: <laughs> so obviously, you and I have worked together quite a lot. Um, we've done live events together we do our online group together we do loads of stuff and what I really love about the way we work together is that we also have our own separate interests so so I have the podcast obviously as an extra thing that I do and I know that you um, also do a lot of writing around the psychology of carrying and uh, last year Uh, Zoe was featured in Juno magazine. Those of you watching on YouTube, I'm holding up uh, a copy of her issue up to the screen now. You can buy back issues as well. Um, But for those of you who don't know Juno magazine, um, Juno magazine is uh, a natural parenting um, magazine. So they're looking at uh, cultures around the world, as well as our anthropological history, about how humans parent Instinctively by emotion. It's looking at stripping away of a lot of the constructs that society have built around parenting over the last hundred years or so um, and really trying to get back to what it means to be human. And Zoe wrote this fantastic article um, all about ACEs. Um, So that's capital A, capital C, capital E. So, Zoe, um, really quickly, if you can answer this question quickly, because it is a big one, um, what are ACEs? for people who may not have heard of that acronym before? So um, it stands for
1: Adverse Childhood Experiences, and these are traumatic events that have a negative and long-lasting effect on health and well-being of the infants. And these are broken down into three categories. So you have abuse, neglect, and household challenges. So there are 10 specifically. And what the research shows us is that if you have experienced four or more of these adverse childhood experiences, you are three times more likely to have lung disease because you smoke. You're 14 um, times more likely to attempt suicide. Uh, four and a half times more likely to be depressed. Um, liver disease, drug use, Basically, those with the more ACEs that you have, the poorer the outcomes of your mental and physical health. And it can impact uh, basically yeah, seven out of the 10 major, major causes of, of death in, in adults. And so it, it's making a big leap between what happens very early on in childhood and what happens later on in life. Yeah. Um, and so they're very prevalent. So 67% of the UK population have at least one adverse childhood experiences one eighth of the population have more than four now these studies the original study was done in the us and these have now been replicated in most cultures around the world so there's mm-hmm. lots of separate smaller studies um in, in individual cultures because obviously there are some differences um but it's basically a, a cascade of development in terms of what happens um so it's not like a direct leap it's very much a, a cascade approach to hmm. development
0: what does that mean sorry just um obviously with your background in psychology you know a lot more than i do about this because i have a degree in drama um, so what do you mean by by a by a cascade so so basically um, we have um
1: kind of if you imagine it like a triangle like a pyramid and at the bottom we have the adverse childhood experiences and then something happens and then something happens and then something happens and it leads to potentially early death at the top and so it's not and there may well be and there certainly is at the moment gaps within those so it's not like there's a direct line that if this happens to you this is going to happen to you it doesn't work like that and and obviously with research it's very what we call reductionist it kind of takes out lot of stuff and tries to make it very emotional in terms of um, you have to make it you have to try and make these direct links and so it kind of reduces us to very basic things and 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 that's how research happens and so for example the adverse childhood experiences you, you you can have a score out of 10 but someone with a score of eight is not the same as someone else with a score out of eight so it it kind of makes it really basic in order to understand and to show these big effects But at the same time, it misses some of the individual nuances around Mm. experience. And so, what the adverse childhood experiences kind of showed is that actually, if you have someone in your life, despite experiencing adversity, if you have somebody that you know is is there for you, that has your back, that is, is keeping you safe, that that kind of negates some of the impact of these experiences. And so. So they're not necessarily just set in stone? Absolutely not. No, not at all. Um, obviously, this was sort of a retrospective study, as in they, they mm. were interviewing adults and then they were looking at their outcome there and comparing it and then looking back at their childhood and asking them lots of questions. And so it, it doesn't always mean that just because these things happen to you, it, there are going to be certain outcomes because the brain we know is is plastic and what we mean by that is that it can change it's not set in stone the brain is not a rock once it's developed um, there is always potential to change rewire reconnect do different things and our brain has the capacity to to do that throughout life it gets harder to do as we get older Um, so that's why things like you know things like learning a a foreign language for example get a lot harder the older we get because Mm. our brains become more attuned because the brain likes efficiency and so if you're not using those bits it it kind of gets with them and and it's a bit like a a well-worn path your brain loves really well-worn paths of things that you do all the time and um, it can be hard to change those those paths to get off those paths but it's absolutely possible and the one thing that all the research has shown is that relationships and connection and a secure attachment are absolutely key to the reshaping and the ability of building robust brains in the first place.
0: Mm. So sorry, just going back, I know you mentioned it, but just to reiterate, um, what are the three pillars of ACEs? What are the three? So um, the three, yeah, so
1: the three sort of headlines is abuse, neglect, and household challenges. So within that, so within abuse, you have emotional abuse, physical abuse, and sexual abuse, and with neglect, so you have uh, emotional neglect and physical neglect, Household challenges are things like domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, parental separation, divorce, uh, or a parent that may be in prison. They mm-hmm. are the specific kind of 10 that they look at. Now, you, there is a lot of research that have added others, and but this is the kind of the foundation of the, of the research with these main ones. And obviously, so emotional neglect, for example, is just not having your mental needs met as a child. Um, you know, all these things do not mean horrific things that needed to have happened to you in your childhood necessarily and so I think it's trying part of it is yes some of it is horrific things and some of it is actually just day-to-day being told to stop crying because you're being silly you're not hurt you you know constant minimizing of your feelings and um, we may not recognize that as traumatic necessarily but it's kind of reframing that I think we re- trying to reframe trauma because trauma can be really can, can almost be quite emotive you think well my parents didn't didn't abuse me I wasn't abused but they may not have met my needs and so trying to come to terms with that can be quite difficult sometimes to mm. understanding what trauma kind of means it doesn't always mean what it is shown perhaps in the media for example
0: yeah yeah you mentioned before that the brain is plastic and we have different neural pathways um, how does how can carrying have an impact on that, and how can it go about affecting that change in the brain, that plasticity you mentioned It's amazing
1: because I mean the brain is still one of those things that we still don't know everything about yeah and yeah. most of the research that I share and that I look at and that I write about is not direct research which means it's not specific to carrying and the impact on that so a lot of the research might be on trauma and stress and attachment particularly but a lot of it we can link to carrying because it's kind of implied so back when um John Bowlby the the, the main proponent of, of, of attachment theory one of the things that he started and he talked about was about physical attachment so we have to in order to create a secure attachment kind of mentally we have to have physical attachment and as we know infants can not survive by themselves they need to mm-hmm. be on a human essentially because they can't move themselves now when we go back to looking at it from that evolutionary point of view you know babies brains developed through being carried essentially is what the anthropology suggests and so babies brains are at a point when they are born that are primed for growth and part of that is just through touch and being in contact and that's where slings can come in because things enable that in a, in a much deeper level and we can do that and still go around and do the other things that perhaps we need to do because life is massively busy and um, we don't always have the communities around us to support us and certainly not at the moment when we we can't have those people come into our homes and help support us and so by you know it's understanding that by meeting a child's needs it actually thrives it helps their brains to develop um we know that if a baby is experiencing stress and stress can be literally just not being having their needs met it 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 then means that the brain is having to direct all its resources into just surviving and therefore the brain connections that we need to be happening can't happen because it's just going to the surviving so it always goes to the short-term you know survival mechanism not thinking about the longer-term impact and what we know with the science of stress and all those hormones is that actually all those hormones flooding us all the time leads to a system that is set up for stress and is maladaptive and that is damaging to the immune system and that's how there's this kind of cascade effect so that's where mm. um, you know adverse childhood experiences leads to disrupted neurodevelopment because the brain doesn't develop in the, in the perhaps optimal normal way because the, the brain is is efficient and wants to just it just works on us surviving and then it leads on to the impairment cognitive social emotional and then it leads to risk taking behaviors then it leads to social problems and then it can lead to early death and that's how that cascade approach happens and so what we know is that the first 4 to 6 months of a newborn child's life are the where you are building the foundations for their mm. brain to build the rest upon and we know that those higher function cognitive functions that happen at the that are uh, unique to humans they build on these foundations and if if you've got a lot of stress and cortisol going into the system these foundations are just going to be a bit shaky and mm-hmm. so then when you're building on top of something that's a bit shaky it's not you know so it's kind of the way i like to to that anal- analogy is around like giving them roots for a tree so if you haven't built those really strong foundations those roots when there is a bit of a wind the tree is just going to fall down versus you've got really solid roots you can weather those storms and that's essentially what the science of carrying and for me is about it's about understanding how what we do leads to those things and and there is no direct research there isn't just isn't yet there's no direct papers that talk about the neuro neurological impact of carrying it's much um yeah we just haven't crossed over yet into that research, but the last year there's been some amazing research on carrying in it, but it doesn't quite go as far as it, it it's much more um conservative in, in its uh, approach what do you mean so in terms of it, it's looking at much simpler things because when we're talking about this cascade it's a, a big leap to get from here to here and how do you research that you can't it's really hard yes. to design a study that's going to re, you know th- that will prove that because that's essentially what you want and to do, when you do an experiment.
0: and there's um absolutely nat- uh, not nature nurture, there's an apply here, but it I guess the everyone each individual's environment will also have an impact. Yeah. Um, and e- exactly no when you're doing to see how the aces affect the long term. No,
1: and when you're doing when you're doing research, you essentially want two groups to be exactly the same apart from one thing. And so the science is you know you have two groups and one of them you give a baby carry to, and the other you don't but you want everything else to be the same you want them roughly to be you know all first-time parents for example or or all second-time parents you don't want a mixture because the impact could be one of those things and that's where you get what we call confounding variables um what they will try and do in the research is is take those things out and and of the data to make it um to to basically to prove their point Mm. um so essentially that's what uh the research does is it has maybe might have more than two groups but essentially two groups one of them you you do something different to the other group and then you can prove by doing a test later on that that one thing made that thing different um so for example um the study that was done um on breastfeeding by Piscan et al. in 2012, they um, had two groups, and they gave one and gave them instructions on sling use, and, and one group that they didn't. And they asked them to use them for an hour a day. And they found uh, then later on they measured feeding uh, rates, and they found that feeding rates were different between those two groups. And the only thing that they they could tell that was different was the sling use. Um, wow. And so that's where it's it really was it hard. more or less
0: in the sling group. And much more. So at five
1: months, it was double. Wow. Um, it's twenty forty-eight percent uh in the in the group given slings and twenty-four percent in the group not given slings. Um wow. they did also check that the group not given slings didn't then use slings, um because obviously you don't want them then using slings. And some people that were given slings didn't use them, and the group that so those people were then very similar to the people that weren't given slings, and so essentially when they do research it's looking at you're trying to get lots and lots of data and you're trying to analyze it all to say did this have an effect on that mm. um and you can't yeah. always do that with humans and behavior in it you know
0: yeah hey lizanne 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 oh sorry jenny i was totally immersed in this article about baby wearing in the latest issue of juno magazine do you know magazine. What's it about? Oh, it's a great magazine. All about a natural approach to family life. They focus on conscious parenting, sustainability, community, and well-being. Also, most of their articles are written by real-life families, like this one about two dads sharing their adoption story. Oh wow! What else is there? An article on postnatal recovery, one on the power of touch, and one called "Why I Carry." It's fab, Jenny. They even have a lush seasonal recipes for you to try at home, competitions, and regular columnists like including The Mindful Dad. Fantastic. Is it new? No, they've actually been supporting parents for 15 years now. 15 years? I know. They're constantly evolving with our rapidly changing times and reflect modern parenting values in the light of new research. Each issue is built around information, inspiration and inclusion. Ooh, that sounds good. It really is. They include supportive features from families sharing their experiences, articles and product reviews to help you make sustainable choices, and they aim to make everyone feel welcome in the community. I'm glad you've mentioned sustainability, because as a cloth bum mum, I am eco-conscious. Well, you'll be glad to know that Juno magazine is printed on responsibly sourced paper, and if you take out a subscription, you get access to their full digital back catalogue. So I can read their full digital back catalogue on my laptop, my tablet and my phone. Yep, and they'll even send you a free gift when you subscribe. Plus, subscription issues are sent with free UK delivery. I'm sold. How do I subscribe? It's so easy. Just pop over to www.junomagazine.com and sign up. Brilliant. The Mother Rucker podcast is sponsored by Integra Baby, a family-run UK business who don't compromise on ethics and sustainability. Integra stands for the future, and they believe that with the right choices, we can nurture our babies and our planet. For over a decade, Sarah and her team have worked tirelessly to bring you baby, toddler and preschool carriers of the highest quality. The multi-award winning Integra design is an industry leader, and their stunning range of limited edition prints, colours and fabrics such as Harris Tweed make Integra carriers extremely desirable and collectible. With an equally attractive price point and a range of carrying positions available, Integra baby carriers are an absolute must for anyone looking to carry their child. Find yours now at IntegraBaby.co.uk. So, how does how does touch and carrying and close contact, when we hold a baby like that, um, and obviously if we then use a the sling to support that, what what actually happens in the brain?
1: So there's loads of things that happen. So basically smelling is a signal. So Mm. we'll smell our baby's head. That signals to our brain. Um, It helps create that bond with our baby. Um, The babies are able to thermoregulate better when they're on us. So their brain isn't having to go, I've got to try and keep myself warm because they're they're doing that job already. Through the soft touch, through the fibers of their skin, it, it activates certain things in their brain the oxytocin that is impacted in both the infant and the carrier that turns on certain things in, in certainly in the parents' brains to be much more responsive to those infants' needs. Because in order to keep the human race going, we have to be responsive and meet those children's needs. If we don't meet their needs, then, then, you know, obviously there'll be an adverse effect and they're they're not going to survive. So essentially it's through this responsiveness that builds those connections in the brain and, and all these complex uh, neurotransmitters or hormones such as oxytocin um you know and cortisol has a good effect it's just not good when we have too much of it um you know it's why we don't like babies crying because it's really stressful because our bodies and our brains want them to stop because essentially it's going to give our position away and it makes us very vulnerable um, yeah. and so it's that's why we find it stressful why we're primed we're primed to respond to infant cries um, and all these things are like little light bulbs and switches in our brain that then lead to these neural pathways that lead to us being more responsive Mm. Um, and it's why you know this this phenomenon of baby brain exists it's because our brain power is going to a different part um, because we've not used that part before and if we haven't been a parent before and we have to turn those things on and we those things are they're primed and ready but if we haven't perhaps had the best start to our own lives those parts might be a bit further down and we might have to dig harder to find them mm. um because our brain isn't primed and ready because it wasn't primed and ready for, from our childhood and so that's where that kind of what we call that intergenerational effect can happen um, because being responsive and being responded to then lays those foundations in the brain but it, it's hugely complicated i am not a neuroscientist um, I have thought perhaps about doing a uh, doing that another degree. However, I would much rather work with other people that already have that expertise and much more in that collaborative way where I get to think and talk about what I think and then those people that have that knowledge come in and go, aha, well, this is the thing, you know, because many of these people working in academia don't quite know what it's like in the real world or um, don't, don't maybe use things or don't, you know, might not be parents mm. because the academic world is hugely male orientated um, and so there are changes happening so um, there's some wonderful research going on in the mother and baby bonding study in the US um, and that's been published in the last two last year and this year um, showing the impact of carrying on groups that are vulnerable and showing that that helped to build secure attachments and we know that attachments then build brains and that kind of is how it all goes but it's not it's not set in stone it's not concrete a lot of this is potentially um, kind of theory and guesswork from all of the different fields of research that I've read because they're not all connected up so you've got the field of neuroscience and you've got the field of attachment and you've got you know carrying and you've got the sociology side and it's linking it all together um, there's not many people
0: doing that (laughs) but you're one of them absolutely trying to trying to (laughs) just why it's exciting so you've touched on it briefly already um but just going back to attachments so you mentioned about um the tree and having the tree roots and having that secure base for your child to then grow from but aside from carrying are there other ways that we can generate a strong secure attachment with our children
1: Absolutely, it's all essentially about responsiveness and being responsive to their needs, and mm. obviously, the closer we are to them, the easier that is to do in a we timely you, fashion a closer
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, um, so even if people don't use slings or don't um you know don't use carriers, you are going to be carrying your baby in arm, which mm. is why I tend to use the term carrying consultant versus baby rearing consultant because. Baby wearing has certain connotations, but actually all humans will be carried to some extent, even if you know don't use a sling or carrier. Um, it essentially is about building that responsiveness. Mm. So you can absolutely be a responsive parent and use a buggy. You can absolutely be a responsive parent and not use slings ever. Um but they sort of can help by going hand in hand because of what happens through the soft touch and through the closeness and through all the activation of all the hormones through smelling, um, you know, and also if our baby is really close to us, we tend to do a lot more talking to them um, mm. without, you know, it, even at like subconsciously we'll be like, Oh, well, this is just because they're there, you know, um, baby's eyesight is, is, is very, very poor and they can only literally see about that far when they're born. that's this, you know, perfect for holding them. Um, you know, many people will find the baby is sound asleep, and then they go to put baby down, and baby wakes up, and they're like, "Oh, that's really annoying. Baby was fast asleep on me, and now they don't want to sleep because they're separate from you." And babies, neurologically, when they are born, don't have the capability to know that they're separate from you. They just know that they are safe and secure when they're on you. But what happens as a child grows, as they get older, they actually it, it's much more an interaction. So those early, early. Um, months touch and and holding them and meeting their needs is super super important as they get older it becomes more about experience and what they experience in conjunction with you Um, because it's about you know we always think oh I must be playing with my child you don't need to be playing with your child but actually just talking to your child about what you're doing about the washing up hanging the washing out on the line going about normal life Mm. Um, involving them is crucial because it is through experience that that shows That's where language comes from. That's how that builds um, through that involvement and through that kind of what we call that interaction. And it becomes really important to have that experience. And being responsive doesn't mean that we hold our children all the time because actually if our child doesn't want to be held in that moment, then we don't hold them. Mm. Um, unless we are needing to keep them safe for example Um, sometimes we do have to override their needs with um, keeping them safe Um, but essentially it's about meeting their needs the majority of the time there are always going to be times where we can't meet their needs and our needs matter too and that's what I love about carrying it because it enables you as a parent to meet your own needs and your child's needs kind of almost without really having to think about it because Mm. There's a lot of this, oh, happy baby, happy mum, happy mum, happy baby. It doesn't work like that. It's an interaction. It's dyadic in nature. You can't separate out these things because one thing has an impact on the other then has an impact on the other. And and it it, it ping-pongs backwards and forwards. And so that's why it's really hard to do the research because it's not like this happens and then this happens. Um, It kind of goes backwards and forwards and it becomes this, like we say, it's interlinked, it's dyadic in nature um so our baby will will make a noise and we'll go oh yes no you're right oh yes and we'll do that today um and then they'll make another noise and you'll respond back because they're here if they are separate from you in a different room they're not going to be getting that interaction and that experience and that's where then they're not going to be having that interaction, and that doesn't help in terms of brain development
0: yeah because they need that i think dr rosie knolls she's mentioned before it's kind of like the, the the ping pong effect that we have with our babies um in that they will do something towards us and by instinct we will mimic it and bounce it back and then they get that positive reward feedback in their brain which allows their brain to flourish and they will then repeat it and then we will then repeat it and it's that that back and forth exchange and it can be doesn't even have to be verbal she was saying it can be um you know something small as a little gesture when they're tiny newborns or a facial expression that they do and you do it back to them or you know sticking out their tongue or something and but every tiny little interaction you can possibly have with your child is going to help build their brains essentially isn't it absolutely it's so it's so crucial it don't
1: they don't need baby classes they don't need um, you know all these toys what they need is a present parent to be interacting with them in the world and that can be in lots of different ways and that can be by going about your normal life Um, that's how they learn um, through seeing what happens kind of in those sorts of interactions Um, and, and it's really important for language development you know it's shown again Past the age of one, many children are in facing away buggies. And so they're not getting that interaction. And there was a study done in 2008, um by Zadiq that showed you just by turning the buggy around, the interactions doubled. Um there was a study last year by mural et al. um 2018 actually, I think, that showed um some parents that used back carriers that had babies up high versus a buggy. And again, the interactions were, m- were much more significant there were much more interaction when baby was 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 close to you versus being in a buggy and that that's you know really important it just is if you're going to use those tools that you use them mindfully um Yay. and that you do incorporate that into your behaviors when you are using them because they all have a use you know um most you know i'll say to people you don't have to use a sling it just can make things a lot easier in many ways Mm. and it allows you to have your hands free so that you can you know go to the toilet make yourself a drink make yourself some food whilst you're caring for your infant at the same time and there's this real need to kind of separate us and have them and us and it just doesn't work like that um the more we fight that separation that instinct to be together the harder it is you know um whereas when we if we can share the science of carrying and attachment and why your babies behave the way they do people kind of go oh well that makes sense okay it just feels a bit easier because we know that's why they're doing it and we know that what we're doing has value and we know that we're growing their brain you know Mm. you hear that all the time parents will say oh sorry no no you're right like so many parents will say say oh, oh I, I'm, get, I'm getting told i'm making a rod for my own back and it's like we'll just say you're growing their brain you know
0: yeah i've so many light bulb moments with um parents in consultations just for slings when the classic is you know they've come in they've got their baby who's still in the fourth trimester first thing out of their mouth is when i ask them how it's going is they won't let me put them down and i'm like no they won't and that's okay because that's what they're programmed to do they were literally totally, inside it's not, your body for nine months absolutely it's not really, only just going
1: anywhere yet <laughs> no and it isn't it isn't even just okay it's like it's 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 needed this is yeah. do you know what I mean it's not just okay it's it's that's what we need to be encouraging is that not to say well that's okay it's actually that's correct that's biology that's you know neuroscience that Anthropology—it's all those things rolled into Mm. one—that your baby doesn't know it's separate. And um, I love doing my bumped baby sessions with parents before they have their babies, where you talk about all of this to them, and then they're not as shocked when baby arrives. And then baby doesn't go down, and they're like, "Of course, baby doesn't go down." You know, I might try it. And you know what? There are the odd baby that will perhaps go down. Yeah. Um, But you know, very rarely will they do it for very long. And but society lords this separation this oh baby sleeping through the night and actually baby sleeping through the night is inherently dangerous babies are not meant to sleep through the night no Um, they're not not, their biology is not meant to allow that and James Dr. James McKenna um, is amazing has done research with the um, Durham Institute is is around changing that concept because actually what we're doing is we're pushing the bounds of their physiology they're physically not capable of going all night and that's why we have um, you know the, the the SIDS and and the colt death rates that we have is because we're pushing physiology and biology to the edges. Mm. Um, You know, there's research that shows the difference between a baby sleeping next to you versus sleeping at the end of your bed is Mm. actually their body is working a little bit harder um, just to keep, to to keep it ticking over, you know, just to keep the brain going, then the body going and the heart rate and temperature. We know that the keeping them close is best because, their body then doesn't have to work so hard Mm. Um, you're not pushing that that boundary um so much and but it's hard when society is trying to separate us because from a capitalist point of view that's what we need to do we need to pay people to look after our babies we need to be paying them so that we can go and earn money so that we can pay more taxes and pay into the system and essentially Mm -hmm everything that you do as a parent when you are listening to your instincts and you're listening to the biology is you are fighting against the machine of capitalism um, and the patriarchy essentially because you know mothering and is not valued young children are not valued Mm -hmm. um you know the whole should be seen and not heard um the way that we often totally disregard children's feelings for things and yet you wouldn't do that if an adult was next to you. You know, if an adult's standing there crying, you'd be like, oh my goodness, what's the matter? How can I help you? This child, it's like, well, you were meant to be in bed half an hour ago. You know, it's it's really yeah. hard to understand that actually that child's brain is not developed enough to have the capability to manipulate you. They're mm-hmm. not they're just trying to survive. And the easiest way to do that is to essentially be together. Um you know we know the research shows us that actually the more we meet their needs in those early months and years the more independent they are the more grounded yes. the, um, you know all of the research shows that uh, it, but it, that is hard when it's going against what, everything that you're being told despite listening if you can listen to if you wait and listen and try and listen your instincts are there and they will be telling you stuff but we often override that by you know all these ex- expert parenting books and you know essentially having to go back to trusting ourselves um you know and sometimes that's difficult because it means unraveling things about our own childhoods that perhaps we had no idea about until we became a parent because you know that's all buried deep, deep down you know we, d- we don't always remember things maybe um that was massively and it might trigger us. true for me um yeah I think yeah. it's really hard because then you're, you're triggered and you're, and you're trying to work through your stuff from the childhood and perhaps still have relationships with your parents and yet you're then trying to also you know meet the needs of this this infant and it can be really really difficult um I mean I love the book um the book you wish your parents had read you know it's a really good book book. um you know and essentially it shows us that we have to do the work not not the child
0: yeah that's the thing yeah, to be the best parent we can be, we have to kind of reparent ourselves is what Philippa Perry is saying in a lot of that book. And Absolutely. Book but It's very much about working through your own triggers and issues so that you don't inflict them on your child almost and perpetuate the cycle that you've gone through yourself. Um, every Absolutely. parent, every but parent it, seeks to improve on what their parent did. And my parents definitely, certainly did the it's very a, best they could. And now I'm seeking to do even better and build on it even more.
1: Totally. Like we don't know what we don't know. Like yes. so often we just yes. don't know. And that's okay to not know. But when we do know, then we have to strive to do better. And essentially it's it's all in the neuroscience. It's there. It's not your mm. fault that you you might be parenting or you might be reacting a certain way. It's because that's how your brain has developed your your survival mechanism essentially and it's then about having to turn around to your brain and go "Hmm, that's not right brain i'm actually okay and actually i'm you know so it's it's really hard to um like i said the older we get the harder it is to reshape our brains and rewire it essentially but it's totally possible um but it's embedded in us it's in the neuroscience you know when you look at people that um perhaps have got you know drug addictions it's 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 not a conscious choice it's a brain it's a brain thing it's a neurology thing it's a that's the connections in their brain and that's how it works and um when we try to help those people it we can do it in a better way with you you know using interventions that help with attachment essentially Um, and that help work through that and realize that actually sometimes our brains aren't aren't first thoughts that come into head our thoughts are not correct our feelings aren't always correct and how do we change that and that purely comes about through awareness um and you know i talk a lot about mindset and shifting all of those things and it's understanding that you know things things weren't necessarily done to us on purpose um it's just how life was at that point and you really can't necessarily blame individuals necessarily because if like you say they don't know people you only know what you know mm-hmm. but it is a societal level and you know the world health organization understands that those early years are fundamental you know yeah. the duchess of cambridge talks about this and it's fundamental that we focus on zero to two or you know and if you had to pin it down even further it's that zero to six months mm-hmm. um from the work of bruce perry for example he's shown that um that those early if anything happens in those early months where your needs aren't met then you know it overrides anything stressful happening later because you, you just can't but if you have that solid foundation actually if something bad happens to you a bit later in, in your childhood then you're more likely to be able to weather that storm um and the outcomes the the, the kind of the graph comes down like that in terms of the the outcomes. Um, yeah they, i mean there's so much science it can be really overwhelming to pull it out and say well which one matters the most and mm. you know essentially it's it's a heart huge body of stuff but you've got people like the early intervention fund um you've got the world health organization unicef they've all got a lot of things on about being responsive nurturing care for example um and and not many of them go far enough to say carrying or sling use you might find the odd word around that um but when you think about it from an evolutionary point of view it totally makes sense in terms of we we wouldn't you know we didn't have wheels so we wouldn't have buggies and and we look at the amount of change in the last 200 years you know evolutions like this in 200 years is like a nanosecond exactly Um, there's a lot of change in a very short space of time and our brains are like I can't deal with this yeah um and that's why we're having these negative impacts on mental and physical health um whereas if we can we can ensure that those next generations don't have those things and that we can repair ourselves then you know it will help going forward um and so there's been some amazing interventions with um teenage mothers for example or those Mm -hmm. that have if we you know if you're trying to pick who you want to really help in the best ways look at those that are about to become parents that have had their own adverse childhood experiences because they are going to be the ones that are going to find it harder because they don't have that that resilience in the in the brain um connection Mm. to then support that infant's brain in that way as well um and you know i believe that carrying can be an, an intervention and a prevention Um, because we know that crying leads to abuse we know that if a baby cries a lot they are more likely to experience abuse it's very stressful when a baby cries a lot but actually Mm -hmm. if your baby's crying because you're putting it down don't put them down put a sling get a sling you know those things can be massively helpful and so the sling is and carrying can be such a powerful tool Um, it can be it's so low cost you know it doesn't have to be expensive at all but most attachment based intervention programs are hugely costly um yeah. and that's what um little little and lagar said in their last uh, paper um that actually it's got the potential to be a, a massive intervention but that is potentially low cost um which is just really helpful and i think it's great in scotland they get the baby box where they have a sling oh
0: They've i would done love a, a baby box in the uk in england oh my god it would be amazing with a sling in it just Oh, it would be absolutely fantastic.
1: And even if people so don't use it, it's 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 a it's a prompt, it's a it's a yeah. thought, it's an opportunity, and it's a conversation. And you know, Scotland have done a lot around adverse child experiences because some of their areas have the highest um, you know, drug addiction rates and mm. deaths. And they're trying to work out how you change that and they're going far enough back you know unfortunately many governments only go as far as one term and so they're not going far enough back mm. and our government has done a lot around cutting um, funding for early services yes. um and so it's really difficult because actually that's where we need to put the money because we'll reap the benefits but not for 20 30 years so it's really hard to measure um for a government in that way and so you know, it's really hard when we're fighting the system all of this stuff because you'll see it all the time you know slings are so rarely mentioned um as being a useful tool there's um a program about you know baby crying and saying to put your baby down if you're finding it too stressful because you know you don't want to abuse your shake your baby which is absolutely correct yeah. at the same time is what can we do to address those causes of crying and we know that sling decrease crying um mm there's been various different studies um done on on crying and infants and being held and the amount that babies are held in some cultures is much more than our own particularly in the UK um, yeah and it's it, it's shocking just how little these infants are being held and it's so crucial Um, so just you know cuddle your baby It helps to regulate you know even if you're an adult a hug feels so good um, when our nervous system is all out of whack you know carrying is is just hugely powerful and I mean we see it we see it all the time when we have consults or when we do library sessions you know that that movement right there's that little sway or a little I know like that you know we know this, this we do it instinctively, but actually the science tells us why. And um, there was a study done by Esposito et al. in 2013, and they looked at it in mice and in humans, and they found that the heart rate and all of these things were less when baby was on you and you were moving and it was in a sling versus a mother's just sitting. And mm-hmm. So we know that movement has this calming response it's an automatic physiological response that happens in an infant's body. It's not a choice. It just, it will just happen. Um, You know, and so often it's great because some of this science is just backing up what we, what we instinctively feel and know anyway. And I find that really validating because I just like to know the reasons why behind it. And I think it just is really validating as a parent when you feel like you don't quite know what you're doing, but to say, actually, the science shows you that that's, that's, valid and that's absolutely important to do that because a lot of the mainstream parenting actually doesn't have the science to back it up and so I think it's really difficult when you're faced with say a healthcare professional that's telling you that you need to, your baby needs to learn to sleep by themselves that you can then say I'd like to read some evidence on that do you have any papers do you know the research on that because you're not calling them out but you're asking them to provide evidence to back up what they're saying because any healthcare professional should be giving you information not advice
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: and many that line can be a little bit blurred sometimes and it is not on you as a parent to have to justify your choices in the way that you parent through giving the evidence it's up to someone else's question so basically they they should be providing you with the evidence You don't have to back up your choices as a parent to anybody else. The evidence is there for you to do that, but you shouldn't have to. But the evidence, you should be able to say to them, oh, that's interesting. I've not heard of that. So self-soothing at eight weeks. Have you got any evidence of that? Have you got any research that's possible? And then the onus is on them to back up what they're saying. And everything that they are giving you should be evidence-based.
0: Right. So our last question, because we're nearly out of time, um, although I could actually talk to you about this all night, um, but I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think we'll have enough time. Um, what is your top tip for carrying parents and caregivers? So you can only give them one tip. You just meet their
1: needs. It's all you have to do. I try and break it down and keep it that simple for people um, because it can be really, you can feel like there's a lot to do when you have a new baby, meet their needs. And if that need is to be held, then hold them. Um, If that need is to be fed, feed them. Their needs are really basic, so just meet
0: their needs. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. That's a really lovely tip. Thank you. Zoe, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you this evening. Um, Where can people find you if they want to follow up um, or stalk you a bit online? So
1: I am on Facebook, Sling Consultancy. I am on Instagram and I have my own website. Um, The Juno article that you referenced is also online as well. Um, If you want to read that one and various other blogs written for other people. But yeah, Instagram is a good place because it's a really interactive and there's loads of I've got my IGTV so there's videos and there's yeah loads of stuff where I share so I basically every week I will share a science paper um, that sits within the
0: field that I talk about amazing thank you so much thank you for having me that's all right it's a pleasure you've been listening to the Mother Rucker podcast with me Lizanne Skinner you can find me on Facebook Instagram and TikTok at Mother Rucker UK and on YouTube if you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast, please send an email to podcast at motherrucker.co.uk. If you need help with carrying, I'm available for online and in-person consultations five days a week. Please go to www.motherrucker.co.uk for more information. And lastly, please do like, share, and rate, and subscribe, text your nan, Put a, carry a pigeon out, whatever. Just tell everyone you can about this podcast, please, because I'd love, love, love to spread the word about carrying and how much it can help people. Once again, thank you so much for joining me, Zoe. You're welcome. And hopefully, I will see you soon. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.